We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Welcome, this is Hampton Keithley and Bob Brandon, and we're going through our core beliefs, or as I clarified several times, Bob's core beliefs, which, <laughs> which I mostly agree with. <laughs> you, this is so when I was walking my dog, you. You've never seen my dog except maybe in a. Yeah, picture. you sent. I think you sent me a picture. Yeah, I've got the. I think every dog owner thinks this, but man, I've got the greatest dog in the world. So he's a mix between a Leon Burger and a Wolfhound. His dad was a Wolfhound. His mom was a Leon Burger. So he's got some size to him. He goes about a buck fifty. He's an old boy now, but in his prime, man, he was a rock star. Just a strong athlete, handsome guy, but lovably handsome. You know, like you wanted to pet him if you saw him. So anyway, part of my family responsibilities are to walk him in the morning. And when I was walking Leo through the deep snow, by the way, Hampton, deep snow here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's been snowing the whole every day for the last week. Um, so when I when I was walking him. I, I was thinking about you. I was going, you know, these are kind of my core beliefs. <laughs> I think I think Hampton embraces them to an extent, but I know one of them he keeps at arm's length. And I was laughing to myself about the uh, the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit being discernment. And I was like, I'm not sure Hampton <laughs> totally embraces that. So it well, was, I I like the idea. Because I had the, I guess my word for the year is is truth, if you will. You've ever heard that people say, "What's your word that you're going to focus on this year?" I have not, but that's and, good and so I was. They were asking me, and I was like, "I guess for me, it would have to be truth." I'd make then, it you know, that when, every year. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then, and because of that, when you say that the, the uh, role of the Holy Spirit is our primary function is discernment. I'm like, well, I like that idea because if I'm spiritual, then I'm, I'm right. <laughs> there you go. And, but then I was like, um, a little bit of pride if, in there. If, <laughs> yes, yes. And and if I disagree with my brother, Christian brother, then he must be unspiritual. And I was like, ah, that can't be quite right. So I know it. It needs a nuance. So what? One of the things that makes me think about though, Hampton. Imagine the role in Israel's history of a prophet. That would be, in my thinking, a 
hugely frustrating task. Yeah. Right. Because you're hearing from God directly and you know the message you are to proclaim and you say it and people look at you and just shake their head and walk away primarily. Right. Or if you're Jeremiah, they throw you down a well. (laughs) Right. How frustrating would that be? Because I think the core element of the frustration would be, you know, you're right. Yeah. And, they, and they're walking away from you. I, I can't imagine how many nights Jesus, you know, put his head on whatever he used for a pillow and just thought, man, <laughs> like he says to Israel right towards the end of his ministry. How long? How, how long am I going to put up with you guys? Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, but I understand the, uh, the element of uh, you don't want to be egocentric about it. Like. Uh, if I'm discerning X and and my Christian brothers discerning Y and I think he's wrong and I'm right, there's you got to eliminate the pride element of that. Um, yes, and and if they're contradictory, they can't both be right, which seems to be the the tendency of our culture is everybody's right, <laughs> except Christians. Correct. So let me read, let me read this because I want to nuance my view on that and that'll introduce us to our topic this morning. So there's a great book, you know, I'm always reading Hampton ever since school. It actually ever since growing up, did I tell you my mom, what my mom's job was when I was growing up, you know, besides raising the family, she was a reviewer for a bookstore. So as a young boy, you know, to keep me out of trouble, Bob, what do you, uh, what would you like to know about? And I would say, "Uh, I like pirates, mom. So she'd come home with a book on pirates. And so I, instead of going out and getting in trouble, I'd sit there and read about pirates. It was Mm -hmm. so cool. So I, I grew up doing that. And then when you get in school, oh my gosh, I remember at one point in my program, Hampton going like home from the first day of uh, class and looking at my syllabi for the different classes and going, you know, if I started right now, I would not be ready for class on Wednesday. <laughs> if, if I started reading right now, I don't think I could read everything that's been assigned for two days from now. So, you know, you fish around on the school bulletin boards and stuff, and there's a speed reading class. So I had to do that. That was actually going to add to my workload, but in the long run, it was going to help you. Right. So yeah, I did, I that. did that. I I did that on my own. I loved to read. I read Louis L'Amour and science fiction, that kind of stuff, <laughs> in in high school. But I also liked Alexander Dumas and the classics. So I read a lot of that. My grandma had a lot of old books. So I I just think that's the the best way to learn is reading. And, and part of my thinking on that is, well, how did God do it? Didn't he write a book to to say it in shorthand? So you could sit down and read it anytime you want, but that that's the way he designed for his thoughts to get into your thoughts and actions. He wrote, he wrote a book. So you read it and get his thoughts and 
put them in your mind in action. So anyway, all that to say, I'm always reading. So one of the great, in my opinion, uh, biblical scholars today, he's a Pauline scholar, Douglas J. Moo. The last name is M-O-O. So his most recent publication is in a series. Um, it's the Theology of Paul and His Letters. This is a series. Is this Zondervan maybe? Cost, your, your buddy Kostenberger is the general editor. Okay. And it's a series on, you know, my favorite subject, right? Biblical theology. So this is Biblical Theology of the New Testament. It's the Theology of Paul and his letters. Kostenberger, I think, did the Johannine stuff. Yeah, I think that's course. his area of so, expertise. Yeah, so as guys progress in their field, you know, Moo has a great commentary on Romans. Good, mm -hmm. Very good Pauline scholar. So anyway, it much like medicine, which we might touch on this morning, you, you end up in a specialty. Right. You know, doctors will take their general courses in, in medicine, but then they'll gravitate towards a particular field. Like you might end up a orthopedic surgeon. You might end up a family practice guy. You might end up in radiology, might end up in gynecology. That's what my dad was, so OBGYN, delivering babies and working on women's issues and stuff. So anyway, you specialize. So it is in biblical scholarship. So Moo, while, while you get your training in all of the Bible, it's, it's not like if you asked Moo an Old Testament question, he wouldn't be able to answer you. He knows the Old Testament through and through, but he's a New Testament scholar. And in, in particular, um, that's a broad branch. His more narrow branch would be Paul. So this is him. On Pauline theology. Of course, one of Paul's letters is 2 Thessalonians. Here's what Moose says about that. I'm just going to read this passage because it's going to lead to my nuance of what I'm saying about the Holy Spirit. So Moose says the following As always, this theology has a pastoral purpose, not only to assuage the anxiety of the Thessalonians about the day of the Lord, but positively to reassure them of God's settled purpose for them. This note is sounded clearly in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 17, a passage that as clearly as any summarizes the letter. Indeed, it's not a bad candidate to choose as a summary of Paul's theology. Wow, let me pause there. I would not have picked that. What? what? So, Look, Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Got it. Verses 13 through 17. Okay. He says that's as good a passage in all of the Pauline material to summarize all of Paul's theology. So this is his translation of that. You, you can read from the net. That's our favorite translation. But this, this is Moo's own translation. So he quotes those verses. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit 
and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So isn't the Holy Spirit <laughs> central in that? Yes. Saved by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. But look at the qualifier through belief in the truth. So the way I want to nuance my core belief stated as uh, the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit today is discernment. It, the way I could say it better, I think, is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit's power. It always has been, always will be. But that's, that doesn't clarify that much. You need to to clarify, well, power to what? Mm -hmm. And I think primarily it's power to be sanctified. So, you know, the process of becoming more Christ-like. But that also begs a question, well, how does that happen? Well, through discernment, right? Imagine Jesus's prayer in John, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. So my nuance is it's the dominant aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry today is discernment, but only underneath the banner of sanctification, and that is underneath the banner of power. So that's how I see it. And if you go back up to verse 10, it talks about, and with every kind of evil deception directed against those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth. So as to be saved, they can't discern, right? It doesn't, it all kind of comes back to think of the themes that are being wrapped up in these statements. I can see why Mu would say this, this passage could well be the core of all Paul's theology. And, and, you know, my own specialty, right? How many, how many guys have a specialty in demonology? I mean, that's what I gravitate to all the time. And you see, currents of that in these passages like when paul says stand firm so then brothers and sisters stand firm what other famous pauline passage has that command mm -hmm. that's ephesians 6, six. about spiritual yeah. warfare right so and and i see spiritual warfare is really all revolving around the truth isn't that your word for the year right <laughs> right and and here's why i say that the very first place we see the devil in god's words is genesis 3 and what's he doing lying and and the whole concept of lying makes no sense unless you also have a concept of truth because right. a, a lie is the twisting of the truth so to me that's the essence of spiritual warfare and, and the way i like to summarize the bible to people is how did humankind get in trouble in the first place 
They believed a lie. That's Genesis 3. So how do you suspect you get out of trouble? If you got into trouble by believing a lie, don't you get out of trouble by believing the truth? And isn't that what we call salvation? Yeah. Believe the truth. Uh, Romans chapter 5 with Abraham, at 4, with Abraham, right? Quoting Genesis 15, 6, Paul does, mm -hmm. and says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Could you have a more clearer statement of salvation? No. There it is. You believe the truth. That's how you get saved. So anyway, that's how I wanted to introduce today, but I wanted to do another introduction, if that's okay, okay. with you. Imagine you were alive in... 605 BC, and you lived in Jerusalem. You were from the tribe of Judah. And at the core of your precious capital city, at the very center was the temple that Solomon had built. And in your worldview, in that day and age, that temple was the, the center of your worldview. That's where you got your security. That's where the essence of your relationship with God resided. I mean, that was everything. And you, you would perhaps walk by that building and in your mind, maybe even see it a little differently than it actually might have been. You would have seen, seen it as beautiful and perfect. And when Solomon built it, it was. So... Right you know, 400 years later, not quite 350 years later or so, it, it might not have looked as good as when Solomon made it, but still there it was, right? And you would have cherished that in your heart. Yet, most of that you could garner from the book of Daniel, right? The opening chapters of the book of Daniel. But Daniel had two contemporaries, two prophetic contemporaries. One, you know, Daniel wrote while he was in Babylon, taken captive, but one of his contemporaries was still in Jerusalem. That's the famous prophet of prophets, Jeremiah. Didn't the Jews colloquially, how do you say that word? Like, I don't know, I can't even pronounce it, but didn't the Jews in their culture understand Jeremiah to be the king of the prophets? I don't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's interesting because, again, I would not have picked that, but that's what they thought. So anyway, um, he was still in Jerusalem uh, prophesying, ministering to Judah. He had another contemporary. Both of them did, of course, Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken to Babylon. So all those guys are ministering around the same time, the time of the captivity. And Ezekiel has a fascinating section in Ezekiel chapter 8. So now I'm going to turn in the net Bible to Ezekiel chapter 8. And imagine in your mind, hold the view of the beauty and power of the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then listen to these words. In the sixth year, 
in the sixth month, on the fifth of the month, as I was sitting in my house with the elders of Judah sitting in front of me, the hand of the sovereign Lord seized me. Let me pause for a second. That was verse one. They're, they're in Babylon. Okay, that's where Ezekiel's house is. As, as I watched, I noticed a form that appeared to be a man. From his waist downward was something like fire. From his waist upward, something like a brightness, like an amber glow. He stretched out the form of a hand and grabbed me by the lock of hair on my head. <laughs> then a wind lifted me up between the earth and sky and brought me to Jerusalem by means of, a, of divine visions to the door of the inner gate, which faces north, where the statue, which provokes to jealousy, was located. Then I perceived that the glory of the God of Israel was there, as in the vision I had seen earlier in the valley. And he said to me, son of man, look up toward the north. So I looked up toward the north, and I noticed to the north of the altar gate was this statue of jealousy at the entrance. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the people of Israel are practicing here to drive me far from my sanctuary. But you'll see greater abominations than these. And he brought me to the entrance of the court. And as I watched, I noticed a hole in the wall. And he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and discovered a doorway. And he said to me, go in and see the evil abominations they are practicing there. So I went in and looked and I noticed every figure of creeping thing and beast, detestable images, the very idol of the house of Israel engraved on the wall and every idol of the house of Israel engraved on the wall all around. 70 men from the elders of the house of Israel with Jaazaniah, son of Shaphan, standing among them, were standing in front of them, each with a censer in his hand and fragrant vapors from a cloud of incense were swirling upward. And he said to me, do you see, son of man, what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in the chamber of his idolatrous images? For they think, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has abandoned the land. And he said to me, you'll see them practicing even greater abominations. And of course, the passage goes on. So the point is, though the average Israelite may have seen the temple as a bastion of purity and their security, it was in fact completely corrupt so corrupt that God had to leave his own house. So hmm. I think, so for, when, Oh, go ahead. When did Joe King Josiah live? Do you remember? Do you, not far before this. So the great King, So this was not the time where the law was lost. And then no, Josiah no, comes no, no, after no. This. He was before this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was the brief shining star, right? There are things said about Josiah that are just fantastic in the scriptures, like no one before him or after him. I mean, that guy had a pure heart. 
much like David. Oh, he's almost described as surpassing David, almost. I mean, he was fantastic, but he, his reign was short-lived. He got killed in battle. And uh, then you get the terrible kings like Sennacherib and so on. Or no, no, Sennacherib is... Uh, Oh gosh, Manasseh. Manasseh, that's Manasseh right. just terrible. Right. And so they he brought in all re rebrought in all the idolatry. So anyway, the the point is to apply this to America. We're to, America's not Israel. America's not God's people. Though we had, as we cover on Politics Friday, right, a phenomenally Christian foundation laid for the beginning of our country. Still, you could not equate America as God's people, though there were quite a few Christians here. You could, in a very real sense, call us a Christian nation, but not necessarily the people of God as a whole. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that distinction in mind, still an American today, if you walked past the buildings that housed our institutions of public health, like the CDC, the FDA, the NAIAD, and so on. You might walk past those and see, you know, bright, shiny glass windows, nice construction, beautiful buildings. And you might tend to think in your heart, you know, yeah, the, the jobs of those people are to keep us safe. They're brilliant scientists. You know, we can trust in them. It's no different than the corruption of the Temple of Israel. Those institutions in the United States have failed. I would say completely. Yeah, so, I And I think even when I say that, you know, we're there still in Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah's day, good priests, sure, but not many. Mm-hmm. And they certainly didn't have the power to direct Right. All the direction was from the corrupt priests and officials. So it is in the CDC, FDA, NAIAD. Those institutions have become completely corrupt. So I just wanted to paint that picture in our listeners' minds before we went on, because the subjects that I wanted to cover today, I don't know if we could kind of lump them all together. They all sort of go hand in hand. I'm going to state them uh, rather simply, and then we'll focus on on the ones I want to focus on. But these three core beliefs all kind of go together. Uh, number one for today. Again, when I say number one, I, I don't. My list of core beliefs doesn't follow a numerical pattern, and I know that upsets you to no end because. I, <laughs> I know you're a synthesist and you like putting things together and, and I'm a biblical theology guy that rather would enjoy a narrative. But um, so grant me, grant me this little brief excursion. So number one, the mainstream media is communist, I believe, in this country. Number two, Trump won re-election. I don't even think that's debatable. I don't think that other one's debatable either. Number three, COVID-19 is man-made and part of a worldwide takeover. 
that's where we're going to focus today with understanding that the the others, the mainstream media is communist, Trump won really, those are, I just assume those. I, if, if we went into those in detail, it, it'd be a path I, I don't want to take. I could defend both of those. I'm not going to, I'm just going to state that's my belief. It'd be hard to sway me off either of those points. But what I want to focus on is COVID-19's man-made part of a worldwide takeover. So are you buckled up, Hampton? I am. Okay. You being the synthesis will find a lot of ground for criticism of how I'm going to present this in a nice way, but I'm going to try to do this my way. So I like painting pictures with words. I almost like them better than the picture itself. I, I enjoy a narrative that paints a picture more than I enjoy the picture. And may, maybe that's an offshoot of reading being my favorite pastime. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how often do you hear, we probably talked about this at one point, but isn't this almost a universal statement? I don't really go to movies, Hampton. <laughs> but you have a lot of illustrations from movies. So the few you saw must have impacted you. So isn't this a universal statement? You go to a movie and, and you walk out going, well, not as good as the book. Right. Yeah. The, the movie may, may have been good, but it's not as good as a book. Have you ever wondered why that's the case? I've, I've thought about that quite a bit. And I think, I think there's a really good answer for that. The answer is when you see a movie, you're looking through a camp. You, you can only see what the camera shows you. Right. Cameras cannot go inside a person's mind or their heart you could express those things through a camera with conversation and um, and acting right like a guy's facial expressions might give away certain hints as to what they're thinking and so on but those, those are secondary those are mm -hmm. good and and a lot of people enjoy that i enjoy that but it's not nearly as good as an omniscient narrator going into a guy's mind and telling you what they're thinking. Right. And then going into their heart and showing you what they're feeling and so on. So intuitively we go, well, not as good as the book because the, the book's camera in quotes is omniscient. A movie's camera is limited. It's just physical. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that, that's the difference, I think. So if you picture, so here, here's the picture I want to paint this morning. I don't, I don't know if I can do a good job with this, but let me give it a shot. Imagine you at a dining room table, you, you walked into the room with the expectation that you and the family over the holidays, maybe, but it's some sort of family gathering, we're going to do a puzzle together like a 500 piece puzzle and so you, you walk up to the table and there's all the puzzle pieces some of them are you know need to be turned over because you're only seeing the cardboard side of them some of them you're seeing the painting side of them and so on and okay we're gonna sit down and do this puzzle the first thing I, I don't like doing puzzles like that but the first thing I do 
is, well, you want to see the box it came from because the box is going to have the completed picture. But imagine in this scenario that I'm painting, there are two boxes. So you have to choose which one are you going to use as your model to put the pieces together. And one box and the picture is of, we'll just use this as an example, the building and it has, you know, members in the building, members in the windows, members walking up to the front door and so on. So there are people that work at this building and the building. And the building is the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, government building, funded, hmm, hmm, that's an interesting little rabbit trail. Do you want to guess where the FDA, CDC get the majority of their funding? It's actually not from our tax dollars. From pharma? <laughs> from phar pharma. Don't we have a proverb, modern day proverb for that? Isn't that called the fox guarding the hen house? Yes. Wouldn't David Martin call that regulatory capture? How can you regulate pharma when they're the ones paying your bills so anyway so anyway back to the picture so imagine the building it's beautiful building and really nice looking people walking in and out that's one box then imagine another box and the building's not beautiful it's disgusting it's broken down. It needs painting. There are window panes missing. The whole thing's in disrepair. It's disfigured, discolored. And the people walking in and out and in the windows are shabby. They're, they have a limp. They're disfigured. They're not good. So one beautiful picture, one ugly picture. And the pieces of the puzzle on the table need to be put together which but those pieces represent the truth which model are you going to use to put that reality together here's why i'm painting the picture that way we're going to get into specifics in a minute but here's why i'm painting the picture that way i think the majority of americans as i've had conversations in the last month or so with friends and acquaintances just intuitively believe that the institutions of the FDA, the NAIAD or NIAID and the FDA, you know, the alphabet soup things are, are good. They, they serve a good purpose. They do a good job. Those are brilliant scientists. They're protecting our health. And for anyone listening that has that, picture in their mind, I'd like you to reconsider that because I think those institutions are completely corrupt. Not that there aren't good people in them, just as there were probably good priests in Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah's day, but they don't call the shots and they're unable to affect change in those institutions. They'll be fired if they even speak out about it. So they have no real power in there. All the, the people that control the messaging, the work of those institutions are completely corrupt. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. 
Yeah. So the so stuff I've been hearing validates that. Doesn't it? And once you paint that picture and you're the reason I'm even painting that picture is because I'm adamant that our listeners understand what COVID is and what these vaccines are. But you cannot have the correct understanding of that if in your worldview, you think those institutions are pristine. They're corrupt. Yeah. So let's get into some of the data. But in order to get into the data, let me list some sources. I think it's a good thing to do in scholarship when you, obviously, we have a thing called footnoting. Right. Oh, and, and number 16 in your list is the ultimate key to truth is the issue of source. Right. So we're, yeah. So there you go. We'll get to that in the coming podcast, but I believe that that's a critical statement. I believe that. So and the ultimate source, of course, is God. So as you, you know, try to figure out things that are, you know, in your world, right. That touch where you live and eat and enjoy your relationships. You've got to discern some things. You're not always going to have God's direct take, right. You're not going to hear God say, Hey, don't take that vaccine. You're going to have to piece that together. He's given you his wisdom. He's given you his Holy Spirit. But there are going to have to be secondary sources of truth. So these are the ones that I've found. You know, each listener, you know, Hampton, you or anybody else, find your sources, but do a good job of searching them out and have some rules for why you would listen to them and not someone else for instance, or weigh them more heavily. These are my sources. I would listen to Dr. Malone, wouldn't you? The guy who invented the mRNA vaccine. Right. Uh, that to me would be an important voice. Let me get, let me back up one sec, Hampton. I know, I know I'm, I know this is only minorly disjointed, but <clears throat> let me use one more illustration because I'm a sports fan. In the NFL, I know you are not necessarily a big sports fan, but you, you like golf and so on, but you'll be familiar with these names. There are 32 NFL teams. There are three quarterbacks that are above the rest. And that's Tom Brady, who's won, what, six or seven Super Bowls. There's Aaron Rodgers, who's won a Super Bowl. And there's Patrick Mahomes, who's won a Super Bowl. But those Rodgers and Mahomes, even though they've only won one, many people will put them ahead of Brady as far as their skill level right now. But regardless, those three surpass all the other teams' quarterbacks. So there's 32 starting quarterbacks in total. Three of them are above the rest. If 29... NFL quarterbacks said X and Brady Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers said W I'm going to listen to Brady Mahomes and Rodgers. Not that I would say they're automatically right, but I would definitely factor them in way more heavily than the 29 others way more. Mm -hmm. And, and you'd kind of have to sway me in a different draft. I'm going with Brady. 
you, you're going to have to sway him. If he's wrong, you're going to have to have overwhelming evidence that he's wrong. Well, in the world of swimming, you know, I watch, yeah. we watched Michael Phelps doing the, the butterfly when, when Josiah was trying to improve because he's the best. And so that's who you want to learn from. Right. And, and so, you know, other swimmers you would listen to, no question, but he, you're going to weight Phelps way more heavily. Mm-hmm. Right. So if there's a question on the mRNA vaccine, I'm going to listen to the guy who invented it. Right. <laughs> okay. So he would be one source for me. Not that he's automatically right, but I'm going to weigh him pretty heavily. So on the vaccine itself, the mRNA ones, I'm, I'm going to listen to Malone. He'd be a source for me. Number two, on, on the uh, patents that surround the vaccines, this is a huge issue. But on those pat on the ingredients of the vaccines and on the patents of the vaccines, I'm gonna listen to a woman named Karen Kingston. Have you heard of her? I have not. So I would listen to Karen Kingston. She used to work for Pfizer. Her job at Pfizer is to you can imagine jobs like this where your job is to get that whatever vaccine they're creating through the process. Right. You can't just create a vaccine. You've got hoops to jump through. Right. You have clinical trials to run. You have manufacturing standards. You got all this. Well, that was her job. That's an important person to me. Someone who has done that work for her whole career. Right. And used to be with, with Pfizer and now is not. I would listen to her. Not that she's automatically correct, but I would listen to her. Number three. I would listen to a woman named Judy Mikovits. Dr. Judy Mikovits is a phenomenal virologist in the United States. The reason I would listen to her is she's in that field for 40 years. She's brilliant. And she worked with uh, two other guys. She's the mouthpiece for these two other guys. One of them is Frank Rossetti. One of them's Luke Montagnier. Frank Rossetti was awarded this award. Imagine the prestige of this. There's there's a group in science that, you know, meets regularly and they determine who's done the greatest and most valuable work in the entire area of science in the last hundred years. Guess who they decided on? Frank Rossetti. (laughs) Frank Rossetti. So this is this is like a Brady or a Rogers, right? Mm-hmm. Greatest discovery in science in the last hundred years. I would listen to that guy. And his mouthpiece is Judy Mikovits. The other guy is Luc Montagnier, French virologist that did unbelievable work such that was awarded the Nobel Prize in medicine. French guy concerning AIDS in the 80s. So when Judy Mikovits says X, for instance, she's speaking for Montagnier and Rossetti. I would listen to her. <laughs> okay. Right. So for the mRNA vaccine, I'm listening to Malone. 
for the vaccine, you know, the whole process of that and the actual ingredients, I'm listening to Karen Kingston. For the world of virology, I'm listening to Judy Mikovits. For the world of microbiology, that that entails, uh, you know, how, how viruses, bacteria and stuff interact with your immune system. For that, I'm listening to a German guy, Sukarit Bhakti. He teaches, do you, do you know the highest institution in the world for science? It's the Max Planck Institute of Germany. No, I'm, okay. I'm sure, sure you've I've heard, heard of, of it. that. Yeah, that's where he teaches. I mean, this, this guy's incredible. He's actually from Thailand. You can tell by the name, right? Sukarit Bhakti, but he's German. So I would listen. I would listen to him in the area of microbiology and how that interacts with your immune system. For the history of the vaccine process, I'm going to listen to a guy as liberal as you get, almost a definition of liberal, Robert Kennedy, right? right. Bobby Bobby Kennedy's son, President John F. Kennedy's nephew spent his entire career in the vaccine field running the Children's Defense Fund. I'm going to listen to that guy. Again, not that he's automatically correct, but that guy's going to have insight that I would not have on my own. I don't have access to freedom of information stuff. I haven't spent my entire career in the courtrooms dealing with vaccines and big pharma companies. He has. So I'm going to listen to him when you need for any issue, you need like the historical context of the issue. Um, Kennedy will give you the last 40 years with every sentence being footnoted, every sentence in his book, The Real Anthony Fauci. And you'll be able to gain an understanding of how we got to where we are today. It's it's required reading, I would say, to form an opinion about what you're seeing today. Another guy I would listen to, uh, what's Bregan's first name? I've got it right here, Peter Bregan. Good book, Bregan's Harvard trained medical doctor. He went into psychiatry, worked his career in that. Uh, I could read off, he, he lists his credentials at one point, but it's unsurpassed. Bregan spent his whole, whole career in medicine, fighting big pharma, as far as uh, Prozac, he, he was the guy who's literally the guy who put the stops to using that too much. So he's been in uh, government cases for years and years. He's seen the inside of how, how pharma tries to get drugs across and so on. Great book. The value of him is the bird's eye view, but then also, you know, the microscopic view of this whole field. Very good at, at insiders look at big pharma would be Peter Bregan, MD from Harvard. I would listen to him. And last guy I would listen to was Dr. David Martin. And the way I would categorize him is to see, I, this is more in your sort of your field, Hampton, as far as um, propensities. He's like a metadata analysis guy. So for instance, I'm not gonna sit down and go through the patents 
of the United States, all of them, 30,000 a year for the last 20 years. I, I'm not going to do that. I don't have the resources to do that. I, I wouldn't have the wherewithal. I wouldn't really know what I was reading. He does. Mm -hmm. So his perspective would be critical. And he's not just a guy who does that. He's really prominent in his field. The government uses him on huge tax evasion cases, right? He's so good at accumulating. Where did the money go? How did it go? Where it went? Who was behind this? What have they been saying in history? So metadata analysis, Dr. David Martin, and a very clear speaker. You know how you can tell people that are clear thinkers when you hear them speak they're they're just direct straightforward their statements are precise and they'll tell you when they're speculating as opposed to when they're just giving you fact they, david martin's like that okay so those are the guys i listen to those seven malone karen kingston dr judy mikovitz dr sukarit bhakti Robert Kennedy Jr., the attorney, Peter Bregan, MD, Dr. David Martin, meta-analysis. If you synthesize what those people are saying, they almost have a unified voice. They don't differ at all from one another. And here are, from listening to those people as much as I can in the last six months, maybe, no exaggeration, maybe two hours a day, every day for six months trying to gain as much insight as I can into this thing. You need to write a book. <laughs> well, they've written it. I mean, how do, how do you surpass <laughs> right. Bre Bregan and Kennedy? I'm telling you, just read those books. You will, you'll be overwhelmed with a couple different feelings. Number one, how corrupt this whole field is. And the, uh, Number two, the scope of it. And number three, the evilness. Those people use that word. That, that's how profound what they're seeing is. These, these aren't Bragan, Kennedy. Those aren't people necessarily coming from a Christian mindset. They use the word evil quite often. That's how bad this is. So here's what I would synthesize. So say we're back to the illustration of we walked into the dining room and there's the table with the puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to identify some of those pieces and put them in the right picture. Remember, we've got two pictures, the corrupt picture and the pristine picture. And we're going to decide, gee, which, which one gives the accurate picture of these pieces strewn across the table? So here's one of the pieces, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is man-made. That's just a raw fact. That is not something they found in a bat in Wuhan or a pangolin in Wuhan and it leaked out into the human population. That's not what happened. There was no leak from a Wuhan laboratory. Remember, the media, mainstream media in the United States is corrupt. It's completely communist. That did not happen. SARS-CoV, there's never been, here's another fact, never been a SARS virus found in nature. They're man-made. SARS-CoV-1, SARS-CoV-2, man-made. So 
keep that fact in mind. Number two, COVID is merely a description of an illness. You could call the flu COVID. COVID and SARS-CoV-2 are not the same thing. Keep that fact in mind. They can be the same thing, but they don't necessarily correlate one to one. Right. That's hard. That's hard to keep in your mind, but do it. That it'll really help you understand this whole process. That's from Judy Mikovits. So okay. in other words, that's from Rossetti and Montagnier. Right. Another fact. There is no human to human transmission of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. I, if I had that, I could not give it to you. I'm going to nuance that in a minute. But for now, just accept that as a basic fact from, from our sources. You can, I can, if I had that virus, SARS-CoV-2, Hampton, we're playing golf and I sneeze on you, you're not getting that virus. That okay. cannot, cannot be passed from human to human. Now, COVID, like an illness, if I have the flu, yeah, I can give that to you. But I cannot give you the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The SARS-CoV-2 virus is only passed via transfection, which means you get the vaccine that gives you the virus. You cannot get that virus from another person. You can only get it from a vaccine. Is this stuff not mind blowing just in these first three facts? Yeah. And the hard part is that there's so many sick people passing something around that is different than the average flu, you know, what no flu in the past caused you to lose your sense of smell or taste. Um, you know, some of those kinds of characteristics. So you, when you hear this and then you try to match it up with your experience, you know, how do you reconcile those types of issues? That's a good question. So here's a, I would not list this as an undeniable fact. I would just list this as my general sense of things. I mean, I've looked at this. Could I validate this in a court of law, so to speak? I'm, I'm not sure. But try this thought, not necessarily fact on, for size. In the year 2020, what's called total um, caused mortality. Like how many people died in the entire world in the year 2020 was no different than it's been the last 20 years. Right. In 2021, significant jump in overall mortality. What caused that? That's a staggering statement overall ju significant jump in mortality wow well so, one one answer would be the vaccine but another answer could also be that all those people who didn't go to the doctor in 2020 their cancers and their heart problems caught up with them yeah could could be 
So if we accept that data, like I said, I'm not sure I could prove that data. I'm not the guy who collects that. I, I have to trust agencies to collect, collect that data. But if that's true, that's really something to think about. Then that's a question on the table. What changed between 2020 and 2021? That's, that's an answer that needs to be provided that you got to think through. Right. Um, next fact, the vaccines of any kind, polio, mumps, rubella, what have you, are contaminated. Just a raw fact. Those are not pure vaccines. That's from Judy Mikevitz. The reason she would know, she's the person that for years is the one who prepared the cell lines to grow the viruses that you make those vaccines out of. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when you're gonna make a uh, polio vaccine, you've gotta grow the polio virus. Well, you have to grow that in some kind of tissue. Judy Mikovits is the one who, who provides those tissues that oversees the growth of those things in the labs, in the government labs. She's had that job for 30 plus years. So she will flat out tell you, when, when you grow the polio virus in mouse tissue, you're picking up mouse viruses so that when you get a polio vaccine, you're not just getting the polio virus, you're getting viruses that are inherent in a mouse. The technical terms for those things are XMRVs. So X stands for exogenous, M stands for Maureen, which is the not the woman's name, but it's that's the uh, ancient language name for mouse. And R is for retro, V is for my virus. So XMRV, you're getting viruses from other animals when you get the polio vaccine. And every vaccine you get, when you get the flu shot, you're getting stuff from other animals. So this has been the case. They've been telling Tony Fauci this for 40 years. That's how long he's been in his position. And before that, he was the second guy, but he very, very quickly moved, you know, the first guy passed away or retired or something. He's been in his position 40 years. You've had Mikevitz, Rossetti, Montagnier telling them for 40 years, you cannot do this. You're giving people viruses from other animals in their vaccines. That's just a fact. It is possible. Imagine this, Hampton. Our scientists are brilliant people. They could clean that up. There's processes whereby you can clean those. He won't do it. So next. And it's not just mouse viruses. You're, they, they grow stuff in other tissues as well. You're picking up plenty. When you get a vaccine, you're not getting a pure vaccine. That's my statement. That's just a raw fact. Next, the vaccine labels are not transparent. They don't tell you that when you get a vaccine. You get a polio vaccine and read that label. They're not going to tell you on that label you're picking up mouse stuff. <laughs> Right, they're going to present mm -hmm. it as if it's pure. And Karen Kingston, if you listen to her, will go through the labels on these COVID vaccines and show you what's actually in there. 
And then she'll tell you the things they're not telling you. So the basic fact is the labels on the vaccines are not transparent. So just from that fact, when you're having to choose, you know, back to our illustration of the dining room table, which uh, thing are you going to pick? Which box is going to represent the picture by which you should piece together the um, COVID and you know, this whole issue, don't pick the one that's pure. That would be transparency. Don't pick the nice, pristine building. That would be transparent. Mm -hmm. This is far from transparent. Why? Because the whole thing's corrupt. They don't want you to know. Why suppress information? Because you're guilty. That's why. Yeah. So next fact, the what they call the SARS-CoV-2 virus is a, another word that's often used to describe that is chimera. In other words, it's an amalgamation of other things. The SARS-CoV-2 virus is not just a coronavirus. It's essentially corona. And there's a reason they want to use that virus as opposed to other viruses to create. Maybe I'll touch on that later, but... They, uh, in, in that virus, you also have elements of the AIDS virus mm -hmm. and you have elements of H1N1, another terrible virus. It's a chimera, it's a man-made thing. Why would you be building a virus like that? What possible reason could a scientist have for, let me make the most deadly thing I can find. <laughs> right so that's just a fact that's what the SARS-CoV-2 is now if you you or I looked at it Hampton it's, it's not my field right I'm a theologian but if we looked at the chemical composition of the virus like if it was printed out on a page which it was by the way by a Chinese computer by the way We've been working with China on this. Tony Fauci's been working with China to create this for quite some time. But anyway, if you and I looked at that, all we're going to see is a bunch of letters, right? Like if you and I looked at a DNA code, we're going to see four different letters repeated time and time. It, it's not going to make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, okay, I can see those letters, but I don't really know what they represent. So it would be with the SARS COVID-2 virus. You're just going to see a series of letters. So you need someone to say, okay, this, these eight letters right here, that's H1N1. These 10 letters over here, that's AIDS. These, you and I would not know if we saw on the label of a SARS-CoV-2 virus what that was. So you're going to need a, a virologist to translate it for you. So next fact. In 1976, in this country, there was a, quote, pandemic of swine flu. In reality, when that, quote, pandemic was over, a grand total of one person died of swine flu. 
but it was presented to the public by President Ford at the time going on TV saying everybody's got to be vaccinated. They'd found a guy at Fort, what, what is it in New Jersey? Fort Dix, maybe? Something D- like that. D-I-X. D- Dietrich or Dix, yeah. It's either Dietrich or Dix. One guy. And the whole country was told there was this giant pandemic that the swine flu that was going around was related to the Spanish flu, which had killed 50 million people, and that this would do the same. It was never related to the Spanish flu. They knew that. They told everybody to get vaccinated. One person, Hampton, in 1976. In 1976, Tony Fauci was second in command at the NIAID. He saw that. He saw what happened. He saw how you could manipulate things. Here's why they do it. Because as soon as they say there's a pandemic, the Congress people who write the budget for the United States are going to give extra money to the FDA, CDC, NIAID in order to fight the pandemic. Their their budget's going to increase a hundredfold or more, a thousandfold. So they saw a way to make money. You just fake like there's a pandemic and Congress will write you a blank check to fight it. That's why they did that in the early years. So it's just a raw fact that in 1976, one person died of swine flu and they called that a pandemic. So draw whatever conclusions you want about what's going on today. When they tell you these COVID, you know, how many millions of people have died of COVID, you better keep that at arm's length because there are massive reasons to fake those numbers. Mm-hmm. Massive reasons. Um, <clears throat> next, try this on for size. This is staggering. There has never, well, let, let me begin this way. In, in clinical trials, what's called the gold standard is a placebo-controlled, double-blind study. So right. imagine, and, and what that means is double-blind and placebo uh, are qualifiers in this way. Double-blind means the doctor doesn't know which person in the trial is getting the placebo or which person is getting the med- whatever they're testing for, the medicine. The patient doesn't know. That's why it's double blind. Mm-hmm. And placebo just means you're, you're not getting any medicine. You're, you're taking something on a regular schedule, but that might just be sugar. You know, they don't tell you that you're just getting an innocuous thing, not something that's going to hurt you one way or the other. It's not going to do anything. It's harmless. So that's how you really get results. Then you're truly testing for, gee, what did the medicine accomplish or not accomplish either way. But in that scenario, you would get pure results if you conducted your trial under that guidance. So that's called the gold standard. Right. Do you want to guess how many vaccines in our country have ever gone through a clinical trial from beginning to end that was double-blind, placebo-controlled, zero. They've never completed those studies on any vaccine. Now, do you want to guess why? (laughs) 
So imagine if, if you're Merck or you're Moderna, which is a very new company that's significant, or Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson, and you bring a vaccine or, or any, any drug to market, you've already, in, by the time you get to clinical trials, they've already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in that drug. Well, you don't want to hear that, nah, you know what, your drug's harmful. You're going to have to start over. You don't want to hear that. You've already put hundreds of millions in there. You want a certain outcome. So you don't want to do a double-blind placebo-controlled study. You want a study that will show your drug is, let me quote, safe and effective. <laughs> so that's the results they get. They, and I could give you numerous examples of unbelievably corrupt studies. And those will come from Kennedy and Bregan. They'll just show you step-by-step step how they did these studies. And it's the most corrupt thing you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Here's, and then you wonder, don't you, like, how, how do you get away with that? Aren't there people in there saying, whoa, 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 wait a sec, this is harmful. Well, here's what they do. When Congress writes that budget for the FDA, CDC, and NIAID, and that's some of their money, and their rest of their money comes from big pharma, they populate the boards of the journals with their people. So, for instance, in the last year and a half or so, there was an unbelievably terrible article that came out in the JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association. It was retracted a month later after they published it. Why would they even publish a corrupt study? Because there's corrupt people on their boards. They want their narrative out there, and they are paid to do that. Their whole careers, Tony Fauci controls through the budget, literally. I mean, almost directly. It's almost as if he's writing the checks. And the people who do the studies, like say Pfizer's going to do a clinical study. Well, they hire that out to, to companies to do that. Well, who do you think they're, the people are who do those studies? Those are people that Tony Fauci pays. So they're, they're independent researchers, you know, they're, they're sharp people. They have their PhDs in virology and stuff like that. He writes their checks. So he tells them, I want this result. And that's the result you get because they're paid to do that. Not because they ran a pure trial and, oh yeah, look at this great drug. That's not how that goes. It all goes the way Fauci wants it to go. To prove that there's a picture Everybody should get Kennedy's book because he has access, again, to information I, I could never get. So through Freedom of Information Act, he's got a fair amount of Fauci's emails. He presents one of them in his book. And there's a, again, you're not a sports guy, but one of the greatest sporting events in our country is the NCAA basketball tournament. Man, that thing's so exciting. And it's one and done. If you lose, you're out. It's not like best of seven. So every shot is critical. 
and there's so many uh, buzzer beaters and, oh, it's so fun when these little schools upset these big giants of basketball and so on. It's really fun. And at the beginning of the tournament, there's a bracket laid out. Here's the teams that are in the north. Here's the teams that are in the south. And it's not geographical. I mean, they're just using that to create a bracket. But mm -hmm. a team that plays in the south may not necessarily be from the south. But anyway, so north, south, east, west. And so there are four groups. Two of the groups square off against each other. The other two square off. And you're going to get down to what we call the final four. Then you're going to get down to the final game, which is two teams. Then you'll have a winner. Can you imagine looking at Tony Fauci's emails and seeing that in his email, but instead of basketball teams, he used to be a point guard for his college basketball team. But instead of seeing basketball teams, you see viruses squared off against each other with a final winner. Guess who the final winner is? The coronavirus. Won, the coronavirus. That won its, whether it was Northeast, South or West, won that. Then it, so it made the final four. Then it, quote, played the other, I forget the other virus he had in the finals. And then Corona's the winner. Now, why, what's he thinking? When you see that written down in his handwriting, what, what's going on in his mind that he produced that picture? Doesn't it appear as if he, this was the goal that that the whole goal was to produce a virus that would accomplish something mm -hmm. sure looks that way and then when you start looking at the vares data vares is vaccine adverse event reporting system that's run by the cdc so that's a fact that's another puzzle piece that's a fact but you got to be careful with that one because you're not getting anywhere near real data. You're getting some glimpse into reality, but you're not getting full reality. For instance, on the CDC website, at least last time I looked, this was a few months ago, they had a companion article to the VAERS reporting system. It was done out of Harvard and they listed how many adverse events actually get reported from a vaccine. So for instance, if I, if I went and got the Moderna vaccine tomorrow and I died two days after that, my wife's not gonna call the CDC and say, you know, Bob was vaccinated two days ago. I think he died of this, right? She, she's gonna be lament and, you know, you're making funeral, right? I mean, your life would just be mayhem. Your, your first task would not be to call the CDC. So the Harvard article demonstrates that at most one in a hundred adverse events get reported to VAERS at most. And the last time I looked at the VAERS um, reporting of death after vaccine attributed to the vaccine, it was 20,000 people. I'm rounding off. It was 20,000 people a few months ago. If that's, if you multiply that by a hundred, you're looking at 2 million people already died of the vaccine. And I think those numbers are nowhere near the real numbers. Those numbers might be big enough to account for that change in overall mortality.
in the world. Mm -hmm. That sure seems to me like what Tony Fauci was aiming for. And he found his champion to do it. That's speculation on my part. But the data sure points in that direction. So the main fact that you got me to rabbit trail on was there's never been a placebo-controlled double-blind study on any vaccine. Here's another fact. It typically takes 10 to 15 years to bring a drug or a vaccine to market by a big pharma company. How quick did these come out? Six months. <laughs> yeah. How, how could that be? It's not the 10 to 15 years is not because doctors are lazy. It's because that's how long it takes to run the trials and see if you can get real results, long-term results. You right. cannot create this stuff. It's you, you can't, or there is one other possibility. You've actually been working on that a long time. Maybe you have been working on that for 10 to 15 years and it just looks like you came out in six months with a vaccine for instance if you look at david martin's stuff his contention is that one-third of the patents since the year uh, 2000 and there's about 30 i'm rounding off again but this is actually a little bit low there are roughly 30,000 patents granted per year in the united states so he says that from the year 2000 to 2020, one third of those patents in the United States have related either directly or indirectly to COVID. From 2020, it began. Mm -hmm. They've been working on this a long time. Then another fact. There were models done, scenarios created in the last few, like going back four or five years of exactly the scenario that hit at the end of 2019. What I mean by that is there, there were gatherings of, of world officials, right? Health departments, security departments of different countries gathered and filmed how would your country respond if there were a pandemic? And they'd, I mean, it would take a couple of days and they'd play it out. We would do X, Y, Z. How are you going to control the messaging? How are you going to control the media? How are you going to control the naysayers? Blah, blah, blah. For a few years before this ever happened, it was planned. So then when you see, and then that's just a fact. You have to fact that's filmed. You can find that. You can find the film of that. That has to be factored into your thinking. Mm -hmm. all, all of these I've listed are facts. So conclude from them what you want. But here's some, um, here's some other things that I would call not facts, but general truths you need to consider. So you understand what I'm saying? Not a mm -hmm. pin, pinpoint thing, but almost like a, proverbial piece of wisdom that needs to be factored into these issues. Um, <clears throat> in the 80s, AIDS was a big deal. The final drug that they arrived at in order to combat AIDS is called AZT. 
here's what's significant about that. AZT is terrible. It's poisonous. But here's what's critical. The effects of AZT look just like AIDS. So when they give a patient who's struggling, you know, with the illness of AIDS, they give him AZT and he dies, they say, well, he died of AIDS. <laughs> and you go, well, yeah, but don't the side effects of AZT look like AIDS? Yeah, but it wasn't the AZT that did it, it was the AIDS. Imagine how devious that is. What do you think they're going to be saying about SARS-CoV-2? Oh, you died of COVID. Well, you gave me that vaccine that has SARS-CoV-2 in it. Yeah, but you died of COVID. The disease looks exactly like the medicine. That's mm -hmm. why I said initially you have to separate those things in your mind. Right. But that, that's a devious technique because now they can inflate every number. They can every three months. I guarantee you, Hampton, here's, here's how you can test what we're saying. Um, the, the value of a model is its predictive powers. So if we're putting the puzzle pieces together correctly, this is, would be one of the results. You will say about every three months, you're going to see another variant. And it'll be associated with times that people gather. Like it'll be around Easter or it'll be around some national event. A few weeks before that event, you'll have an outbreak of a new variant. I guarantee you that's going to happen five or six times in the next two years. It, with, the, with the holidays that we've just recently gone through is Omicron. You get down to the end of the year and if we, again, back to sports, Hampton, I'm a, believe it or not, I root for the Cleveland Browns. All year long, Cleveland has some injured players, but you know, we have our normal team. Three weeks ago, so heading into the holidays, 24 guys test positive for COVID. Really? I've been playing four months. None of them have COVID. All of a sudden, right before we're on TV in the holidays, 24 of them have COVID. You don't think they want the Browns on national TV to be playing with their third string and say, well, here's why. There's this terrible outbreak. And it wasn't just us. There were a couple other teams that had that. Hampton, I don't believe any of that's true. And none of those guys are now hospitalized they're not sick they're back try try this i should have listed this as a fact so let me do it now i didn't have it in my notes but let me do it now the pcr test polymerase chain reaction is what they use to test if you have COVID. like you're sick you go to the hospital they're going to diagnose you they're going to do a pcr test let me tell you the effectiveness the accuracy of the PCR test, it's 97.7% false positive. <laughs> Why even run it? Yeah. What, what a joke. How is the American public not looking at that going, you, you guys are completely corrupt. Why would you have a test that you know is almost 100% false? What value is that other than to lie? and to continue the deception.
So it, if you have flu, that's going to show up as COVID. Mm-hmm. If you've been vaccinated with anything in the last 30 years, that's going to show up as COVID. You have remnants of those viruses in you. You and I, well, maybe you don't. I'm sure I was polio vaccinated when I was a child. Yeah, I was. Yeah, well, you're, there's pieces of that in your system. That PCR is going to pick that up and say, up. Oh, you got COVID. <laughs> in a sense, you sort of do. It is what they've been putting in you, but it's not the way they're portraying it. Okay, next next fact, and this is uh, important, very important. This is from Sukarit Bhakti, and this is within the last couple of days. So they're now running tests. There are some good doctors out there. In fact, there, there's plenty of them. They just don't have the power to control the institutions. But they're good, sincere doctors working for your health. There are plenty of those. So some of them have done research on exposure to the SARS virus. What they're saying now, this is really significant. So I got to explain this a little bit. But when, when your system as a human being is exposed to a brand new virus and you get that into your body through like, you know, you're breathing it in and it goes, you know, into your nose, into your throat and so on. It takes you about 10 days to start creating the correct antibodies to really begin fighting that. So you get something like Ebola. I mean, that's going to kill you pretty quick. You're not going to be able to make antibodies fast enough to deal with that. Ebola is very deadly. If you've had prior exposure to a virus, you start making antibodies within two days. It really doesn't get much past a sore throat, which is very common for people, right? You mm-hmm. wake up with a sore throat and then, you know, a couple of days later, you're better. That's pretty good. That's how your system normally fights it. That happens within two days. So they're now testing people for exposure to SARS-CoV-2. Guess how many days before they're making antibodies? I don't know. Two days. So this is not, you're being told this is a brand new thing. It happened through an outbreak in Wuhan. No, it didn't. And people have already been exposed to this. Like I said, in that chimera, there are elements of lots of different viruses. People are making antibodies within two days. In other words, it's not fatal. Your system can deal with it. You don't want to get sick. I don't want to get the flu. I don't want to get a sore throat, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not this horrible pandemic that's going to wipe out millions of people. It's not. Our hum- we already have, in other words, the f- conclusion from all of that is there's already herd immunity. That exists in our population. You don't have to vaccinate people. And herd immunity is way more effective than vaccine immunity. Haven't you even heard? What, what are they saying about the vaccine? Does it keep you from getting COVID? No. No. Well, why do it then? Does it keep you from spreading it? No. Why do it? What is the purpose? In fact, 
Hampton, they've had to change dictionary definitions during all this stuff. A vaccine, a successful vaccine means you don't get the illness and you don't pass it on. That's not what this is. It's not a vaccine. Many people just tell you that flat out. They shouldn't even be using that language. He's on a commercial. So I'm watching commercials, not a TV watcher either, but I am a sports guy. So they have commercials between the Browns games and how many of them had to do with the vaccine were quite a few. And that's what they would say. You know, you should get vaccinated. It's safe and effective. And I'm in my mind, I'm, it's not a vaccine for one thing. It's not going to keep me from getting it. And so their sales pitch concerning that is, oh, it won't be as bad. <laughs> what I mean, I've you got some swamp land in Florida. You, I want to say you can't prove that, no. and you can't prove a negative. So you can they can just make the claim. Of course, I mean, how, so which again back to the puzzle pieces. Which box is the accurate box? That all these institutions are completely corrupt. If you look at that picture, you will be able to put the puzzle pieces together. If you're if you're approaching solving this issue in your own mind, like should I get vaccinated or not, or what's really going on with COVID, if you're approaching that question with the inherent worldview that these institutions are pure and that they are concerned about your health, you'll never put that puzzle piece together is almost entirely deceptive, the whole process. We could go on and on. I mean, it's, I, I'm just giving you the things that I could defend tooth and nail as fact. And th those ones I've listed today are, those are raw facts. You gotta come to grips with those. Whatever a listener decides, you have the right to decide whatever you want. You're God's image, think it through. Arrive at your conclusions. You wanna be vaccinated, go ahead. But don't do it naively. Do it with the facts in mind. Yeah. So, and the other, the other recent thing, Hampton, this is also out of Germany, that uh, those antibody studies were out of Germany. But they're now doing autopsies on the people who have died of the vaccine. And they're very clear on what systems of the body have been dev devastated enough to cause death. And usually it's heart disease but many of your organ systems are compromised through the vaccines. Yeah, Dude, my, those are just raw facts. My nephew was a paramedic. I say was because this last week was his last shift. And he said in training, when you go out to deal with a crisis emergency, uh, he was taught that if it's a female and she's under 50 or something like that, you can rule out stroke because it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. He said that he's personally dealt with three females in their twenties and thirties that had strokes in the last month or so. And in his department or his organization, they've had 30 or 35. I can't remember the exact number. And so he's having a conversation with his boss, the captain, and the guy's making the comment that um, I've never seen this in my whole 30 something years as a paramedic, but we've had, you know, these 30 different cases in the last couple months. And um, my nephew was like, well, don't you think it's related to the vaccine? And the guy was like, just laughed. Oh, you, that's, that's crazy. Just totally dismissed it. And yes. 
he's been vaccinated, the, the boss had been vaccinated, his family's been vaccinated. And I just had to go back to your Mark Twain quote. It's easier to fool someone than to mm-hmm. convince, convince them that they've been fooled. Isn't that a great quote? That guy was so sharp. But and, yeah. And so they don't want to believe that they've made a mistake. Well, yeah, well been duped. Yeah. 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 Told by the institutions, these things are safe and effective and they're not. It makes me wonder the Malone guy you mentioned, I think, you know, the inventor of MRNA. Yep. He got the vaccine early on. Yep. And it makes me wonder why, if he knows what he knows. So here's you know, a, yeah, and, so here's and, a and now he's coming out saying this thing is dangerous. But what yes, what fooled him early on to think that it was okay? Here's a, here's an interesting because that's a great question. I that's also in my own mind. Here's what I think. The books that maybe helped me the most were not by doctors. It was Kennedy. He's not a doc. He's an attorney. Mm -hmm. His stuff pertaining to vaccines and medicine was way more helpful. Sometimes you need a person outside of your field because they're not biased in certain, not, not even negatively, but you know what I mean? They, they don't have presuppositions that a person inside that field would have. Like, for instance, my, my suspicion is, I have no way to know this. I'm, I'm just guessing. I could see this being the case, that Malone has most likely never read Judy Mikovits. But if you're looking at this field from outside, you know, going, well, who should I listen to? Who are they? Then you do listen to those people. It's interesting. You're in a sense, you're getting a bird's eye view. Whereas what Malone's getting is his own mRNA world. And I'm sure that's a pretty good, you know, he invented that. I'm sure there's, there's really a positive aspect to that. Like for instance, the whole, when, when people say to me, you know, they'll label me an anti-vaxxer. And I always say back to them, I'm pro good vaccine. Mm-hmm. I'm against bad vaccine. I'm pro good science. I'm against bad science. So someone like Malone is probably not reading the, the con aspect. He's just reading the pro aspect. He, he's just looking at, here's the potential of an mRNA vaccine. So he would do it, but he's not looking at the con. I'm just guessing at that, but mm-hmm. I, I suspect that's true. Right. Maybe so. So hopefully, I mean, what a sobering conversation. I mean, I my deepest hope is that that helps people think through. Let me, let me reiterate. You don't have to think what I think. You don't have to arrive at the same conclusions I do, but I have done my homework. So our listeners need to do their homework. Do not listen to a person on a commercial saying this is safe and effective. Go get the real docs, the people at the heads of their fields, and they're not the only ones. There's other people than I've I, th- than that I have listed 
And they might say different things, but do your homework. Right. Can't, that, that's my encouragement. And I suspect if you do the same homework I've done, you'll arrive at the same conclusion. So. Okay. It's sobering, Hampton. But uh, that's where we are. Yes, it is sobering. Okay. Well, I guess that's enough for today. That's enough. We'll talk soon. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Mm -hmm.